going on guys thank you for tuning in to this episode of the tenernet podcast um, today i had brother jim mclaughlin in jim's a retiree uh, we had a a pretty cool talk about uh his life as a sheet metal worker we talked about uh, his apprenticeship uh his time as a foreman uh, jim was also a business agent up in michigan which we talk about a little bit uh been the goal to have a retiree on, so uh, we thought Jim would be a, a good one. Had an entertaining, uh, entertaining time with him, uh, talking about you know the ups and downs in his career, mostly ups. Um, some really fun stories and uh, a word, uh, a word of warning there at the end, guys. So uh, thank again, thanks for checking this one out, and I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for joining us again on the Internet Podcast. Um, we're here today with uh, Brother Jim McLaughlin. Um, had quite a career. He is a retired member now. Um, he's gracious, gracing us with his presence today to, to share some, some knowledge and, and stuff he's got about all his years as a sheet metal worker. Jim, how are you doing today, Brother? I'm doing real fine. Thank real you for, fine. Thank you for uh, helping us out here today with this thing. You bet. Always glad to help the local if I can. Fantastic. So we'll get right into it, Jim. Tell us a little bit about about your career as a sheet metal worker. You know, what year did you start your apprenticeship? Where did you start it? How'd you get started in the trade? Be glad to talk about that, Josh. Um, when I was still in the ninth grade, I'll go back just a little bit before I actually started. When I was in the ninth grade, I came home one day. I went to school on the west side of town, and. Uh, that day there had been a counselor from East High Vocational School when they still had vocational school out there. And he talked to a bunch of us uh, about possibly uh, getting some training and uh, going into uh, uh, sheet metal, welding, auto mechanics, machine shop, those kind of things. And so I, I listened pretty strongly to him and I went home that night and talked to my dad about it and he said, you know, he said, you're smart enough to go to college, but you don't apply yourself, son. You don't, uh, you're not doing your lessons like you should, and you're satisfied with C's and D's, and which I couldn't disagree with him. And he said, I think it would be good for you to go to vocational school. And if you get a trade, you come out of there with a trade, you can always, after you've got your journeyman license, you could always possibly go back and do some college work, sure. which I never did, but, but I, I took his advice and I got a hold of the counselor and I went through three years of high school, regular high school, along with, along with the uh, sheet metal and the welding for three years in a vocational school at East High. And during that time, I guess I was in my senior year when uh, some of the guys in my class uh, decided they joined the CB reserves branch of the Navy. Okay. And they joined the reserves and they were bugging me to join. So I went up and I signed up. And just so happened that the man that was in charge of our reserve unit, he was chief petty officer. He was the business manager for Sheet Metal Local 29. And he asked me, he said, what, Jim, what are you going to do when you get out of school? Because I still had another four or five months to go. That was in 1960. And I said, you know, I was thinking about hoping I could marry a rich woman, <laughs> Bob. And he said, 
Well, if that doesn't work out, just uh, give me a holler. Maybe I can put you to work. Well, September rolled around of, of uh, uh, 1960, and I got a hold of him. And he said, you ready to go to work, start your apprenticeship? And I said, yeah, you bet. And he said, okay. He had me all lined up to go to a shop, small shop. Uh, and I said, well, what tools am I going to need? He said, you're not going to have any money right now to buy tools. He said, I've got a set of tools. You just take my tools. and." Wow and then uh, go from there. You know, when you, when you get enough money, then, then uh, uh, go ahead and buy the tools and, and bring mine back, if you would. That's kind of how I got started in the sheet metal trade. Wow. And uh, it's been good for me. It's been good for our family. I was able to get a pension. I've got insurance. I retired in 2001, and wow. I was able to... Uh, now we're talking about 2018, aren't yes, we, sir. Josh? Yeah. Yes, sir. And uh, so I've been retired for quite a while, and I've had uh, good insurance and good pension, and uh, enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it. It's a it's a good good trade to get into, and the union helped me out a bunch. I tried to help the union out whenever I get a chance to. Well, it, it's it, well, you're doing that right now, I think. So. Tell us a little bit about, I mean, I know, but for everybody listening, what all have you done within the union? Obviously, you've talked a little bit about your apprenticeship. It's where, it's where most of us start, mm-hmm. I think, if we're lucky. Um, you know, work your way up through through the other jobs. Of course, you finished your apprenticeship, made it to journeyman. Did you run, run work in your career? You know, I ran work, it seemed like, from almost day one. Um after I became a journeyman. Um, back in those days, things weren't quite as regulated as they are right now. And, and uh, I mean, as far as you have to do your four-year, five-year apprenticeship thing. Well, really? Talk, talk, I was, that's I, interesting. Talk more I about was that. In, I was in my third year, and things started slowing down uh, quite a bit. And I got laid off, and I was only in a shop that had, I think there were two journeymen and me. Uh-huh. And the guy basically had to shut the doors until he got some more work. So I went down to the union hall, talked to Bob, and I said, um, I'm out of work right now. What am I going to do? And he said, well, he said, uh, are you willing to travel a little bit? And I said, well, yeah, I can. What What do you have in mind? He said, well, they're needing a journeyman welder over at uh, Stevens Brothers over in Hutchison. And I said, but I'm not a journeyman. And he said, you know how to do layout work, right? And I said, yeah, I can do layout work. He said, you know how to weld? And I said, yeah, I know how to weld. He said, go on over there. They're going to pay you journeyman's pay. I don't have anybody to send over there, so I'll send you over there. Fantastic. So I went over and I got acquainted with the fellows that were working there. And uh, uh, it was... I, I worked over there about six months, driving back and forth. Got along real good with the guys. They knew I hadn't served my full apprenticeship yet. Mm-hmm. And uh, then that job kind of wound down a little bit. And uh, my old boss back in Wichita was ready for me to come back to work. Perfect. So I went back. That was <laughs> Shell's Metal Shop. Sam Shell was the owner. I went back to Sam's and... My first paycheck, I was I was back down to apprentice wages. Right. Well, I'd kind of gotten used to that that sure. nice dollar amount. 
Yes, sir. So I went down to the union hall and I told the business manager that I'd kind of, what, what can I do about this? Anything I can do about it? And he said, if you can take the uh, uh, fourth year apprentice test and pass it and stand up to questioning by the e-board, I'd be glad to, you know, go ahead and, and get your journeyman card. So I did that and I kind of got uh, grueling questions from the e-board about sure. it, you know, and sure. just in front of them. And of course, they're all older guys. They were probably 40 years old, you know, and I was in my early 20s. And uh, they kind of put it to me, but uh, I, I, got to, I got my journeyman's card anyway. Went to uh, Kendall Incorporated. Uh -huh. They were a big shop in town. Sure. And my job was I was going to be a layout man on the bench. They had probably seven or eight benches all lined up where guys a lot more experienced than I had. Uh, were doing layout work. At that time, we had to draw every, had to lay out on metal every fitting that we made. We didn't have machinery that did it for us. We had to know how to make squared rounds and, and that kind of stuff. And they put me at the desk at the layout bench right outside of the shop foreman's uh, office. And of course, his office had a big glass window in it where he could watch. Mm -hmm. And it just made me nervous as hell. <laughs> well, I realized at that time that I had not finished my apprenticeship yet. And there were some things I didn't really feel comfortable doing layout work. So I Like every I, new journeyman, really. I got a hold of the uh, uh, apprenticeship teacher and I said, how about I come back down to school a couple nights a week? He said, yeah, sure, that's all right. So I went back to school, and when I would have a, a sheet of paper that came out that day that showed you need to lay out this fitting and this fitting, if I didn't know how to lay them out, I'd take that paper with me to school, and I'd know how to lay them out before I left school. Yes, I, so when I got back to work the next day, it made it easier for me. For sure. But uh, after I left that position, we were up there a oh, couple, three years, uh, there was a guy in town I'm trying to think of his name, Ripstraw and Turner okay, was, was a shop. I've they, heard that. They had a shop on East Douglas, just east of Washington. And the president of the local, Vern Mallow, was working at the shop that, at that time. He was the foreman there. And uh, so I went to work there, got along real good. And after about two years, the, the owner come down and he said, uh, I need to talk to you. Or he called me. He said, can you come down to the office? Their office was a block to the west from the sheet metal shop. So I went down and talked to Buzz. And he said, Vern's not working out for me. And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. What, what's right, the problem? It's a weird position. He said, yeah, it was a weird position to be put in. He said, uh, I've been watching the way you get things done and how you work out on the job. And he said... I'd like you to take the job as shop foreman. And I had maybe four years of journeyman's mm -hmm. experience at that time. And I thought, wow, this is, you know, this is going to piss off the uh, uh, Vern to no uh, small degree. Mm -hmm. So I went down and I talked to Vern and I told him what the deal was. And, and I said, uh, 
if you're uncomfortable with me doing this, I said, I'll just step back and tell him that I would rather work as a journeyman for him. Yeah. I'll help him run some jobs and that kind of stuff, but I, I don't want to cause any problems between you and I'm sure Vern probably he. showed you some stuff. Yeah, he know, did. I mean, I'd learned some stuff from Vern, but, but he, Vern said, for him. Vern said, Jim, he said, good luck to you. He said, I'm, I'm uh, ready to step down from this job anyway. Okay. So I ended up being the shop foreman there for a while. Awesome. And it seemed like after that, just about every place I went, I was, uh, somehow they would single me out to run work. Not that I'm any better sheet metal worker than anybody else, but I have a, a skill and I'm patting myself on the back when I say this, but I have a skill for being able to take any individual that I'm sent and find out what they're good at, uh -huh. okay? They don't need to, it, it, I need to fit, fit the job as much as I possibly can for them. Sure. You know, if, if one of them, <clears throat> if I've got two or three guys and I've got one that needs to be able to weld, I'm gonna pick out the best one that's able to do that job. Mm -hmm. And if, I, if they send me uh, which has happened quite a bit, they'll send me an apprentice to work, you know, maybe a brand new apprentice. The first thing I'll do, I'll unroll the print and I'll say, here's what we're doing for today. And this is the way I would do it. But if you come up with a different idea, if something comes up and you say, I know, know you told me to do it this way, but I think we can save a little bit of time if we do it this way. All I'm interested in is getting from start to finish yes, sir. at the end of the day. And I said, if I, if I see that your idea has some merit, we'll go along with your idea, right. even though you are an apprentice. Yeah. And that kind of ticked off some journeymen, you know, how come you're letting those apprentices? Hey, listen, we're, we're all working together. Uh, yeah. I'm not gonna uh, say this guy isn't, isn't as good as I am just because he's an apprentice and has less, uh, less skills. So I, uh, I ended up running a lot of work. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So how many years did you have in the, in the trade before you were able to retire, Jim? I started in 1960. 1960. And retired two, in 2001. 2001. So 41 years. Right. Two years of that, I was in uh, the Seabees. Okay. I, went to the, I had to go to the reserves. Uh-huh. Uh, at that time, when I had joined the reserves, you had a six-year obligation. Everybody had a six-year obligation. Well, except the rich people's kids. Sure. Okay, we don't want to go there. Got it. And uh, you had a six-year obligation, two years active duty, two years inactive duty, and two years of, uh, uh, two years active duty, two years of active reserves, and then two years of inactive reserves. Well, where, I had, where they could call you if they yeah, need you. Yeah, where they could call you if they need you. And uh, I enjoyed that. And that was, I was a welder in the, in the Navy when mm -hmm. I went into the reserves. So it helped me with my sheet metal sure. skills when I got back out. But yeah, I, I uh, had, what did you say, 40 years? Yeah, like 41, that. 41 to my math. How, yeah. how many of them were in Wichita? I worked here from 60, until I, le I left here in 84 and went to uh, Michigan. I was, I worked in uh, Michigan at the sheet metal trade. All I did was go down to the Union Hall. I didn't have to put my 
put my uh, name in the paper saying I'm looking for a job, I went to the union hall. It's a beautiful thing. I <clears throat> showed my union card and the fellow that I, the business manager up there in Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, he said, well, he said, uh, things are a little bit slow right now, but uh, let, me, let me see what I can find for you. And in about a week, he called me and he said, uh, there's a shop over in Muskegon, which was 93 miles from my house oh, no. to Muskegon. And my wife ha hates it when I talk about how far I drove <laughs> to work, but that was my choice. Yeah. So when the, when the agent told me about the job, I said, sure, I'll take it. He said, now they're only working 40 hours a week. And I said, that's fine, that's fine. <coughs> so I went over there. Well, the one thing that he, he scared me a little bit, he said, you won't have to pick up any sheet metal. I said, what do you mean I won't have to? You mean I won't have to throw any sheets up on the bench? And he said, no. He said, they've got overhead cranes for all that. And I thought, oh boy, the idea came in my mind, what the hell am I getting into? <laughs> right. I haven't, haven't worked this heavy steel. And, but I managed to uh, do pretty well over there. I, I worked and next thing you know, I'm running jobs. Were they, were they an industrial? Oh yeah, they were, they were an industrial shop. Okay. Did very, very little HVAC work, very little. I like industrial I, work. I became the guy to do the HVAC work. Okay. You know, because that's, that was my experience. Sure. Here in Wichita. But the, yeah, the industrial work is, is a whole different uh, animal, you know, and it's, it's good work. I like it. It's it's excellent work. Uh, it's harder to compete. Probably it was then, and it is now. It's harder to compete with the unorganized shops uh, on HVAC work. It's mm -hmm. more harder to compete with that than it is the industrial stuff. Mm -hmm. Fewer of them. So was that kind of leads me into an, another question I had. Um, kind of compare and contrast the different locations between. No, no. What local were you in? Not. Uh, what is Detroit's 80? Or well, there's, it, th yeah, there's many, two locals over two in Detroit. Two locals in Michigan. Oh. At the, at the time that I went up there, there were probably, in the whole state, there were probably seven oh, wow. locals. Wow. And back about, um, let's see, I went up there in 84. It must have been about 86, 87, the international merged. Started merging. Started merging. Uh, every local in Michigan outside of Detroit. They didn't want to mess with Detroit, sure. and I don't blame them. No. Uh, but I was, I started out in Local 10. Local 10. I'm sorry, Local 410. Okay. Uh, when they merged us, when the, when the International merged us, uh, we became Local 7. Now Local 7 has five regional offices scattered around the state. Got it. And where where's Local Seven based out of? Lansing, Lansing. Michigan. Yeah. So kind of compare and contrast and contrast for me. Um, Wichita Local Twenty Nine versus Local Seven in Lansing. Uh, you know, numbers wise. You know, number of members, uh, type of uh, uh, work you did. What was what were kind of the differences between the the two locals you worked? Well, the the local that I ended up. Uh, uh, working out of, which was Grand Rapids, uh, Grand Rapids and Muskegon is on the west side of the state. 
that's the local that I worked out of most of the time. Okay. It was, they call that, they're all local seven, but they've got zone one through five. Right. And I, I, I worked out of zone two, okay. which is Grand Rapids, Michigan. And uh, I found Grand Rapids to be very similar to uh, Wichita, local, local 29, in the fact that they had good sheet metal workers and they had sheet metal workers that wanted to get a job done as quick as they could. They didn't exactly. want to drag their feet. They got the job done. They had very good work skills, work ethics. And uh, Michigan uh, Zone 2 was the same way. I nice. found it to be the same way. They did a lot more industrial work in that uh, Muskegon area than, uh, than I was used to around Wichita. I had never done any industrial type work in, in Wichita. Mm -hmm. Not that there wasn't some here, but it, our contractors basically at that time were uh, keyed in on HVAC work. Sure. Sure. Where uh, where do you work at? What kind of what kind of work? <clears throat> any plants that any any listeners would would know? Well, uh, work got a little slow in as it does uh, in uh, in Muskegon at the shop I was working at, and the uh, foreman come out and he said, "You're going to have to take a few days off." And I said, well, I'm not used to taking days off. I said, I like to work. Yes, sir. So I'm going to take my tools with me. He said, oh, he said, I'm going to call you right back. I said, yeah, okay. But, you know, some, something might happen. And I'm 93 miles from my house to your house. And uh, I'll just take my tools yeah. with me. So after about two days, he didn't call. I just called the union hall. And the union hall said, do you want to go over to Detroit and work? Actually, the first job I had over there was in Flint, Michigan. He said, would you like to go to Flint and work? He said, they're working, I think it was six tens or something like that, six days a week, 10 hours a day. So it would pay some of the travel and sure. what have you, sure. because I was on overtime. And I said, yep, I'll go. So I went over there and I had relatives that lived in Flint, so I stayed with relatives there. And uh, which didn't make my wife all that happy, but she was had a pretty good check coming to her every uh, week. Which so did make her happy. Help, help pay the bills. <laughs> but uh, I was over there for quite a little while, uh, working at uh, Buick City. Uh, General Motors had a big, big, huge old plant there. That in the dollar amount that we were doing then probably doesn't compare today, but we were. They were spending 450 million to to totally redo the whole thing, put robots in. That's when robots first come out mm -hmm. in the auto industry. They were doing the robots and all new paint systems, which the paint system is huge for sheet metal work. Sure, huge, and uh, so they spent all that money on it. Now it is. Uh, Probably it's been closed. That Buick plant has been closed for 15 years. Mm. Been, they just shut it down. Then mm -hmm. um, made a parking lot out of it or something. They tore the whole building down. But uh, it was a it was a good job. And after that one, I went down to Pontiac, down at truck and bus plant, and uh, they were doing basically the same thing down there, putting a lot of robots in and totally redoing the the paint systems and. 
it was a very interesting job for me because it let me have a lot of experience that I wouldn't have had otherwise, not only with the, the work, but with the individuals that were working the job. I went down there and the business manager told me, he said, this job's not, there isn't any overtime on it. They're going to do this job straight time. So it's only 40 hours a week. I said, sure, I'll take the job. Mm -hmm. So I go down there. Long story short, I find that uh, just about every sheet metal worker that was there on the, for the particular contractor I was working for was from out of town, from mm -hmm. Kentucky, from Alabama, from wherever, because the local union didn't have enough people to work it. Got it. So they called in travelers. Right. Well, I find out that the travelers just knew that it would go to 40 hours if they, or go to overtime if they drug their feet a little bit. Oh, no. And I'm not into dragging my no. feet. I'm into giving a man eight hours eight work for eight. for eight hours pay. And there were 50 sheet metal workers working for that guy. And there were about maybe 10 of us that wanted to really... You know, the day is going to go a lot faster if you're working. Way better. Yes, so we, we all kind of found each other. And after a short period of time, the business or the uh, shop steward came around and he said, he was a local, uh, local 292 guy out of Detroit. He come around and he said, uh, these guys are all mad at you. I said, what are they mad about? Well, they're mad because you're making them look making bad. Them look, yeah. I said, have you seen the way these jokers are working? <laughs> so it was a little inexperience for me. We never did go on overtime, and we got the job done, and uh, they laid off a bunch of those guys that weren't interested in working, Sure. and we found enough people to get the job done. Good. Yeah. Excellent. It was interesting. So, so... Like we were talking about a little bit before we started, uh, you know, the the trade is changing uh, so fast technologically. Uh, you know, create technology creates advances in, in productivity and safety. Uh, I mean, even in my 17 years, we were just kind of talking how, you know, when I started, cordless drills were not, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the norm. Um, Talk to me about a, a little bit what a day was like when when you first got started in your career. You know, what kind of tools were you using? Um, well, as I as I've said, Josh, I was using borrowed tools for a while, <laughs> <laughs> but they were all just hand tools. Uh, the drill motors were all you had to have extension cords, and extension cords on jobs after OSHA became involved were a problem because they didn't want you running over them with the scaffolds and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, okay. So just for, just for clarity, you know, cause I've heard guys talk about running awls and screwdrivers and pan head screws. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. That's what we're doing here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We did, we did all of that kind of stuff. Um, you, we didn't have, uh, the guns that we've got today, or I don't know what you've got today, to, to put in anchors to hang the ductwork, uh -huh. but in a cement structure, you know, we'd shoot anchors in uh, today, or when I was still in the trade, but when I started, you had to drill a hole and put a lead anchor. You put a lead anchor in, and you had a little device that you drove up into the lead anchor to spread it, 
you know, so that you could put a screw in it to, through the strap that held the, held the ductwork up. Uh, there's a lot of things like that. Uh, I remember doing things like that. I, I, I don't know if, if, you know, there's so many different systems. I don't know if they're still doing it that way. There's a, there's a lot of different systems. I don't think they're using light anchors anymore. One thing I know they're not doing anymore is hand layout. I mean, oh, the it's layout not work. happening. Um, like I explained, the, the uh, job that I went to at Kendall's, every fitting was laid out by hand. How there, many would you get done a machinery. day? There was not machinery. Well, it just depends on, on the complexity of it, you uh -huh. know. Uh, we were working on a job at the at the shop that the the ductwork was going to the Garvey building downtown, and there were hundreds, if not thousands, of different uh, fittings that went from round to oval, which was quite a quite a little trick, you sure. know. And some of them were center tapered, but most of them were offset one way or the other, and. It was or a it, compound offset going exactly. up and to the side. Yeah, exactly. And nowadays, uh, you got machinery that does that. You still have to have somebody that knows what he's doing to punch it into the machine and get it get it right. But the, you know, it. it uh, I don't know about your shops around here if they have uh, systems where they're on just uh, the sheet metal is on big rolls. Oh yeah. Yeah, and they got For plasma sure. that cuts it and, and everything. Yep that that's totally different from the way we did it um, if if you had uh, just regular square duck work or rectangle duck work uh, without any uh, complex round fittings and that kind of thing which took longer you could probably get 20 or 30 a day you know joints yeah well not necessarily ductwork but just the fitting oh okay fittings. well that's that's not that's not bad no. from from flat sheet to layout no, no. to forming yeah. to beat together and yeah. on a pallet if you if you had all that's really if good, you had actually. all fittings that were that were uh, round or or squared around or round or rectangle those kind of things if you got 10 of those done you were you were really Cooking. exceptional okay okay I remember one gentleman that worked on the bench right next to me. He had probably 30 or 40 years experience. And we had some fittings that were just tremendously hard. He couldn't, he couldn't get one. <laughs> and he had to notch it. He had to cut it. And when he got it laid out and tried to put it together, every one of them he had to notch a little bit to get it to fit. Uh -huh. Which wasn't a problem. They all were all welded up after that, and it got it. Okay, so you had the, the, both ends of them look like what they were supposed to. wasn't quite right in the middle, but he had it figured out. So I seen that he had those those fittings, and he was doing them. And he was having a terrible time with them. <laughs> I won't mention his name because he <laughs> he was an excellent excellent layout man. Sure. And. But I, I took that piece of paper. I saw that I had one next day. I was gonna have one on my sheet. So I took it to school that night and I got with the, the uh, teacher. Who was he at the time? Mm, gosh darn, I knew you was gonna ask me <laughs> I knew you was gonna ask me. He was, he was an older guy. He was, sure. had been retired for a long time. Okay, that's okay. And he showed me how to lay it out. So I went to 
work the next day and I laid that fitting out, went over and formed it up and had it sitting there on my bench, the two sides. It was sitting there and it just matched up perfectly. <laughs> well, Dave came over and he said, oh, you've already notched yours. And I said, Dave, I must have done something wrong. I didn't have to notch mine. <laughs> it all went together like, I guess it was supposed to. Like clockwork. He, he said, you little bastard, show me what you did. <laughs> so it was kind of fun. Oh, uh, that's but, great. But as far as uh, the differences, there's tons of differences in the way way you do sheet metal work today. Oh, I know. And, and it, we all have stories like that. You know, I've... Probably with everybody I've ever worked with, you know, say whatever it could be, I'm, I'm doing it and it's just not going and it's mm -hmm. just not going mm -hmm. and I'm getting pissed, I'm getting frustrated, I'm hot under the collar, walk away and somebody else comes and just, mm -hmm. just slips right in for them mm -hmm. and just do it. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that kind of stuff happens all the time. Well, that's the best thing that we have in this local and any local around the country is our skilled labor yep. and our people that are willing to help each other to get the job yes, done. Sir. Not to make each other look bad yes. because they didn't, uh, oh, you're a dummy, you didn't get it quite right. I never run into that in all my years. It was always people working together. That, and and that's, that is a beautiful thing about, about the Union Brotherhood that, that we get to uh, be a part of here is, you know, I, I mean, there's competition for jobs, you know, who's going to be the most productive, but you, sure. you're never going to sacrifice your brother no, to make no. yourself look better. I just, I don't see that happening. No, like, if, I'm sure it does in the night. If he gets sacrificed, it's it's because he's he didn't take advantage of the, of the training that was out there offered to him. Yeah. So you became maybe just a little bit better than him. Yeah. But uh, you're not making him look bad. He's kind of makes himself look bad yes sir so uh what was what was it like being in in a union uh, especially a, a a trade union in in 1960 through the 70s i know i know uh, you know sadly since the middle 70s union membership in this country has done nothing but decline mm -hmm. uh, despite our our absolute best efforts uh, you know, the 50s and 60s were, were kind of the heyday of, mm -hmm. of union membership in this country. What was it like to be a member then, Jim? What was uh, morale like? I believe in the, in the shops that I worked in and the people that I worked with, uh, for the most part, you know, a job's a job, and you still have little things that maybe irritate you, but uh, the morale was good. I found the morale to be excellent. People went to work every day and, and uh, with a good, uh, good feelings about what they were going to try to accomplish that day. And, and uh, I didn't have any, any problems, uh, for the most part, with, with individuals. It was good. I, everybody was proud to be a sheet metal worker. Was, everybody was proud to be a sheet metal worker. Uh, when, I guess... I was still shop foreman over at uh, Ripstraw. Uh, there was an election that came up and uh, Ron Weems was our business manager at that time. And people wanted me to run against Ronnie. And I said, well, I haven't been going to meetings. Let me find out what's going on. So I started coming to meetings and, mm -hmm. and uh, found out that he had a tough 
thing because, like you said, the, the uh, uh, membership was was uh, starting to fall and that kind of thing. And and I said, he's he's doing a good job. Why would I run against him? He's doing a good job, doing the best he can. It's not going to do anything for me or for the local union if I, I get elected versus him. He's already got some years in there. Let's let's take advantage of that. Mm -hmm. Okay, you don't want to run for that. You, then you run for president. I said, I can do that. Yeah. So I ran for president, and I was president for about 11 years before I went to uh, Michigan. Okay. And um, when I got to Michigan, I knew absolutely nobody on the, in the local that I was going into. Wow, that's probably tough. It was, it was interesting. It's like uh, you went to school... Uh, for so many years and then you're getting ready to graduate and then you change schools mom and dad move or something you know and then <laughs> yeah. start out with a whole new crew sure so um i i didn't know anybody and and uh, after about three years after the merger uh they wanted me to run for president of that local or running for business agent of that local Wow. So I ran Must for... Must have made quite an impression on those I guys. ran for business agent, got elected, and the first thing, my first day in the office, there were, we had probably 250 guys in Zone 2, but I found that uh, there were 92 of them out of work. Whoa. Whoa. Keep in mind that I didn't know a lot of these guys. Yeah. I had worked in Muskegon, and there were probably 20, 30 guys that I was acquainted with over there in that shop, but I didn't know any of these other guys. And that's massive unemployment. Massive unemployment. And the way things used to be, and probably still are in some locals, if your name is at the top of the list, they were used to being the first guy to be able to go to work. Mm-hmm. Well... I had been in that position before where I got the first guy off of the list to come to work on one of my jobs. And he didn't know how to weld, and I needed a welder. Yeah. So I kind of just changed it all around and said, we're going to take the first qualified guy. And, well, that's not right. And I said, well, it's, it's not right. If I send somebody off of the list and he goes out there to work, and he doesn't have the qualifications. He's not a welder. He yeah. doesn't know how to stick weld, TIG weld, or anything else. And, yeah, but you get two-hour show-up time. And I said, that doesn't benefit anybody. No, 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 it no. doesn't benefit the local union. It doesn't benefit the contractor. He's got to jack around. Sure, it's in the contract. You get your two-hour show-up time if they don't like you. But that's no way to do things. So we'll take the first qualified guy. Well, what are you going to do about me? I don't know how to weld. I said, I'm going to send you to welding school. Yes, sir. We're going to open up school here, and we're going to uh, have, have upgrading classes for journeymen. Oh, okay. Well, I don't mind that. Yeah. So the next time it come around, I said, okay, I, I need another welder. You're still on the list. You want to go to work? Yeah, I think I can do it. And that part of the job really made me feel good. You know, it makes, makes you feel like you really did something for the local union, for the contractors, and certainly for that individual. Well, you did. I mean, you you took a you took a. It sounds like they didn't have a welding program in their apprenticeship. We we had a welding program in the apprenticeship, but a lot of these guys came in. What did they used to call it? White ticket. 
they came in when there was a lot of work and they were taking people off the streets. They were taking in all kinds uh, of people. Okay. And uh, they made them members. So without they, an apprenticeship. They, yeah, and they didn't have the set of skills that they needed to compete with the guys that had been through those classes. So what are you gonna do with them? You're gonna find something that they can do. Yep. Uh, they're, they're a dues paying member. They, they're, uh, they've, they're getting pension, they're getting health and welfare, they're having all those benefits that they're gonna be entitled to when they get ready to retire. Yeah, it doesn't take so, too much to hold up the dumb end of the duck, you know. So anybody yeah, can exactly. do it, but that doesn't exactly. mean you're, you're skilled. But, but you need, the way I always looked at it, the more uh, employable you make yourself, the more skills you have, that's just like having a brand new tool in your toolbox. Mm -hmm. Something that makes you employable now. Now, a lot of times, <clears throat> it's attitude. You know, a lot of times you'll, you'll run into guys that just, <clears throat> well, I don't have to do that. Why do I have to do that? Mm -hmm. You have to do that because you're being paid to do that. Right. <laughs> you know, whether you're working for an organized shop or one that's not organized, you're still going to have to do the job. Yes, sir. So, um, <coughs> excuse me. No, you're fine. Um, talk a little bit more about about what your life was like as a business manager. I mean, it sounds like you were asked to run for positions <laughs> ev everywhere you went. You know what? Uh, a, a lot of guys uh, like working with their tools better, and a lot of guys like the like the management side a little better. Mm -hmm. uh, what mm -hmm. was your favorite? How are they? How are they different? I I, <laughs> I love the work. Uh, and in Michigan, uh, you got into some jobs that were just horrendous. You know, the weather, for one thing, mm -hmm. the weather up there is so much different than it is here. You, you may be working on a job, you may be up four or five stories up on a roof uh, trying to run a stack up in the, in the winter, and mm. you know, which we did. There was a lot of that kind of stuff going on. Um, whereas it would be a little nicer here, uh, the weather-wise, but I enjoyed the work. Uh, I never minded getting dirty. I, I would work in powerhouses. I'd work in paper mills, work in chemical plants. Uh, some, the chemical plants were a little tough sometimes. Yeah. We had a job just south of Muskegon that uh, it was, it was going to be a big uh, HVAC job. And, of course, the shop I worked for didn't have HVAC guys, you know, that knew how to put a job like that together. So I'm the guy. So I go down there, and, and this particular plant, they were, they were making pigment for paint. Mm -hmm. And you either came home red or yellow, mm -hmm. seemed to be the colors. And you yeah. could wash up as good as you could, and by the time you got home, uh, it would you were just come out of your pores. Sure. But I didn't mind that kind of work. Uh, I enjoyed, uh, even when I was back here in Wichita, uh, being the uh, president of the local, I sat on just about every negotiating committee that we had for the, I think I was on, I was about 11 years before I left here, I was on uh, negotiating committees and, and uh, president of the local. But I enjoyed that kind of stuff. Um, 
it was all a good uh, good experience for me. Nice. Had a good experience. Uh, I was lucky to be able to retire in uh, 2001. Um, I was still the the business agent up there. I I actually was elected three times, and uh, there what what are they four year terms? I'm trying to think. I think they're four. They were four. Yeah, they were four year terms. But I was elected three times. But I didn't serve out all of my last term because my wife had found a job uh, in Las Vegas <clears throat> that uh, paid a lot more money, and she worked for lawyers. Which, if you're working for lawyers, <laughs> I'm sorry, all of you folks out there <laughs> that may be lawyers, but anybody that works for lawyers earns their money. Yeah. So. Uh, Enough said. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. But uh, <laughs> it was uh, uh, it was a good thing. I enjoyed it. I so enjoyed, you retired I, off to Vegas. In in yeah, I retired because my wife said, "I've been out here for a year and a half, honey. We've got a house now, and if you don't come out, somebody else might be living oh, in it." Whoa. Basically, you know, <laughs> I'm sure she was just joshing with me, you know. Yeah, it's still kind of rough. But, but anyway, I had enough time in that I could retire, and I I was 58 years old when I did retire. Beautiful. Uh, had had some health issues, uh, but uh, I'm getting along just fine. Yeah. Um, so what what do you want to say? You know, I invited you on here with kind of. Um, no expectations really of what we talk about. I just I, yeah, have, yeah. I haven't had a retiree on yet. You're my first one. So anything you want to say? You know anything? You I'd, want to I'd like to say if if there are some uh, sheet metal workers out there that are not organized, uh, that that's your choice. I could have very easily uh, been a non-union sheet metal worker when I had I came out of the school and joined the reserves. And the only thing that tipped me to the union side, because I knew nothing about the unions uh, at the time that I was looking for work, I could have easily went to a non-union shop, an un unorganized shop. I don't call people names. I mean, if you're working with your hands for a living, whether you're, you're a union guy or a non-union guy, you know, that's what you are. Yes, sir. We're all uh, workers. But, but the, the thing, uh, I just happened to join that, that reserve unit and the business agent, business manager for the local union was a chief petty officer. I could have very easily went to Fawnstock or any of the other shops in town and, and probably done the same thing. Mm -hmm. But I don't feel like I would have had uh, the ability to retire when I was 58 years old with a decent pension. I've, I've, I've got a pension from, I've actually got a pension from the International and from the local union up in Michigan and the business agent's pension. So I'm able to get along pretty comfortably. I'm not rich, mm -hmm. never wanted to be rich, but at the same time, uh, I get along real well. And we've got uh, uh, good health insurance and the kind of things that 
you're going to need when you get to be my age. I happen to be 75 years old, and and uh, wow, I'm, you don't uh, you don't look it. Well, you don't look well, it, Jim. Thank you very much. You're sure welcome. You know, and we need health insurance right now. I mean, my family. You know, I don't know what I do. I mean, we're very fortunate that none of us have any severe, you know, health issues. But you know, I know guys out there working right now that uh, unorganized. They don't have health insurance for their mm -hmm. family uh, because they can't afford to take that amount of money off of their check. Well, the thing, I, I'm glad you brought it up that way because when I was still in Michigan and I was a business uh, agent, we didn't have an organizer. So I was the organizer, mm -hmm. you know, and I would get a hold of somebody and I, this one individual, I had... Uh, can't remember if somebody just gave me his name or uh, said he might be interested in talking to a union guy. But anyway, I, I sit, called him and I set up a meeting and he didn't show up. And I was sitting there waiting on him at a restaurant. Been there. He didn't show up and I said, that's fine. So I give him a call the next day and I said, uh, I was a little bit late getting to the, to the restaurant last night. Uh, did I miss you? No, he said something else came up. And I said, well, are you still interested in talking? Yeah, yeah, I am. So we, we got to talking. And I said, uh, we talked about the, the work that he was doing, how long he had been at this company, and it was a big non-union company. <clears throat> He'd been there quite a while. We talked about his family, how many kids he had. He had four children. Mm -hmm. under the ages of 12, I think. Oh, wow. And I said, uh, wow, I said, that's, that's quite a bundle you're carrying. I, I had uh, a couple of kids myself, and I know that things can go wrong sometimes, and you need, uh, need your insurance and, and that kind of thing. Absolutely. And I said, uh, at that time that I was talking to him, the 401ks had just started coming on the scenes. Okay. And I said, what? Not, none of my business, and you don't have to tell me if you don't want, but what do, what do they have over at, uh, at Quality Air? And he said, they've got uh, uh, 401k. And I said, well, that's, how does that work? Can you tell me how it works? And I probably knew how it worked, but sure. I, I wanted him to tell me. And he said, well, you know, if I put in this amount out of my check into the, pen, the 401k, which will be my pension, uh, then the company puts in so much. I said, that really sounds good, but you said you had, how many kids did you have, four? He said, yeah, had four kids. I said, boy, can you afford to put in, because he'd already told me how much he was making an hour. I said, can you really afford to put money into your pension thing? And he said, no, not really, because, you know, I'm not making enough to put, <laughs> but it's there if I want to. Yeah. And I said, well, I, that really doesn't sound too good. You know, and I'm used to, and I told him how our pension worked. It, it's a negotiated item that so much, uh, every hour that you work, your employer puts in so much into your pension. Comes out of your total package, okay? So it's, a, it's what you have negotiated and then what the membership voted to spend their money on. You might have got a $3 raise, but they wanted to put only a dollar of it into the pension fund. Mm -hmm. that, the membership votes on that, and uh, then that money is there when you get ready to retire. Been a good thing for me. 
I can't, uh, I don't have any complaints. I don't know if you have time for this, but I had, uh, well, how, how, what, did you get him? Did you organize him? No. Finish? No. He no. decided? He, no. Okay. He, and, and I've the, been there too. Well, the thing about it is, you, you have found, I have found, that it doesn't do any good to try to organize a guy. Now, it's totally different if you're organizing a, a whole shop, or you got maybe one of your members wants to start a shop and uh -huh. that kind of thing, or a non-union guy comes to you and says, I need... Uh, a contract with you because I've got a federal job and I've got to have a union contract, you know. Uh -huh. There's all kinds of different scenarios there. But uh, what what I have found that all sheet metal workers are looking for is a job. Yes, sir. And a paycheck. Mm -hmm. And we hope in the, in the union trades that, that we're always able to give our people jobs and we're always able to negotiate a decent wage that our contractors can still stay in business and be competitive and uh, that our uh, members can make a decent uh, decent wage. With, without a doubt. No, no, Jim, I got time for, for whatever you want to talk about. So yeah, hit me. Hit I had, me uh, with it. I, I just want everybody to know that construction work is, uh, while it was the love of my life, right after my wife, of course, um, <laughs> Good save. I, I enjoyed it. I always did enjoy it, even the so-called bad jobs. But it can be a dangerous, uh, dangerous job. Uh, there, there's worse jobs, but uh, uh, there, we had a job one time where I was uh, a foreman on the job. Yeah, I was a foreman on the job, and we didn't have a steward. So I was a foreman and I was always a loud mouth anyway, and I was president of the local, so they always come to me, you know, and things weren't, uh, didn't look quite right on a job. We, we were building uh, St. Joe Hospital, the one on Harry Street mm -hmm. now. Uh, it looks like an old building now, but it was brand new when we were building it uh, back, in the, uh, back in the 70s. And I had, uh, uh, we got to a point where they were ready to put the the uh, roof deck on, which the roof roof level was the eighth level of the building. Right. right. <clears throat> and the iron workers put on everything up to the eighth level, and I talked to the iron worker and I said, uh, um, "That's really sheet metal workers claim that roof metal, you know, laying that decking up there." He said, "Hey, that's fine, you know." Work it out with your business agent. And I'll get a hold of my business agent. And they did. And, sure. And okay, who's going to do it? Well, you're going to do it, Jim. And uh, I'd never done any decking before. And but I had had a couple of excellent guys with me. I worked for Central Air at the time, and uh, had uh, two very good guys: one apprentice and one journeyman welder. And we worked up there, like I said, we were on the eighth level. The decking was all set in a big bundles, and uh, we had prints and everything, so we knew where to start. And we got got going on it, and and walking the steel up there. <clears throat> and there was, we were on the eighth level. The seventh level didn't have any decking on it at all yet, so there wasn't any floor there. There wasn't any decking or floor on the sixth level. Oh. 
you had to go to the fifth level before they had laid the decking, which they would come along later and pour the concrete on it right. to make a floor. Yes, sir. So you had a wide open drop from the eighth level to the fifth level. So we were working. It was on a Friday in August, and it was a beautiful day. Uh, I can remember uh, working all morning, and Rob and I were dragging the sheets, laying them down, and Bill was coming along and welding them after us. And we went down uh, at lunchtime, went down and went across the street at McDonald's over on the corner of Hillside and, and uh, Harry Street on the south east corner and still there still there still there i know it is <laughs> we went over and got a hamburger came walking back and the job was kind of fenced in and they had a gate there and you had to walk through the gated area you know and my memory i still can see that in my mind but we came walking in and went back up uh, to the eighth floor and continued laying the decking and I think I was, uh, I must have been about 33, 34 at the time. And the other guys were younger than I was. So we, we had a nice young crew. Went back up, went to work. Well, somewhere along, must have been close to quitting time. Uh, the, the iron worker superintendent and his main guy were walking the job to make sure everything was kind of nailed down for the weekend safe and uh, so things didn't blow out because sides of the building weren't on yet that just the structural steel was up sure. some of the floors were poured and junior was walking along and, and they found a spot where there had been a piece of decking over a hole and he t he's telling me this sometime later but he he found a piece of a decking that was had been over a hole but they'd been pulling stuff up by with a rope through there. Right. So they'd taken the decking off. And Junior said to his partner, he said, let's lay that decking on there because it went all the way to the basement from that point. Might have been an elevator shaft, I'm not sure. Got it. <clears throat> so they had just put the decking on, walked about 50 feet on down the, the floor, and he heard something hit behind him. And he said, that damn Jim's up there throwing stuff at us. Well, <laughs> it wasn't uh, it wasn't me throwing anything at him. What it was was me, because I landed. He turned around and I had he seen me land right on that sheet of decking that they just dug over that oh damn over that damn hole. And oh my god! It from, was from the eighth from, from the, the eighth, roof, eighth level thirty down. feet. Yeah, eighth level down. God. And. It, uh, they, Junior told me, he said, he called the crane operator and the crane operator was going to send up the stretcher to take me down. And, and Junior told me, he, he told me weeks after as I'm in the hospital, right across the street at the old St. Fran St. Joe hospital. Mm -hmm. But he, he, he told me that uh, the crane operator was nervous because he was going to have to take somebody down in a stretcher, somebody had got hurt. And Junior said, it looked like he was gonna drop you. He said, it made me nervous. He oh said, God. we just picked you up, put you on the stretcher, carried me down five flights of stairs to the ground floor. And the stairs didn't have concrete in them, in the runners yet, just right. wood, two before across them. 
And he said, they carried me down to the, to the ground level, put me in the back of a pickup truck, and carried, drove me across to the old hospital. Oh, my God. <clears throat> it was not my turn to die that day. No, sir. <laughs> it wasn't my turn because I lived through it and, and with many, many, many broken bones and back and ribs and punctured lungs and all that kind of stuff. But the doctor told me later that the guys did everything wrong. He said, yeah. They, 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 they've all been through uh, first aid classes and you don't touch anybody, you don't move them. But he said, if they hadn't done it, you'd have laid right there and died. There you go. He said, you'd have bled to death. Yeah. So sometimes things work out uh, for the best. Well, and you sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. Do what you, you got to do. I mean, we're construction workers. We see people get hurt every there day. Had, there had been usually like at that. the old hospital, it, like I said earlier, it was in August. It was a nice, sunshiny day. There had been a nurse walking the floor down the hallway, and she just stopped at a window and looked out. And she seen me falling through the building. She called down to down to emergency and said, "If he's not dead, he said there's going to be a live one coming oh over here goodness. that needs attention pretty quick." And there just happened to be some of the best doctors in town that day in that hospital, and uh, they saved my life. But those That's those construction tremendous. workers saved my life. Yeah, those iron workers. Now, I might have fought with iron workers a lot, <laughs> but I said I. Did. Don't fight with them anymore. Yeah, they <laughs> they earned uh, some uh, some good favors. They that's got, for they sure. They got their kudos that day. Well, that is a so it can story. be a, it can be a, a wonderful trade to be in, uh, but Absolutely. like anything else, you got to watch what you're doing sometimes. And you know, we guys. had uh, I don't think our lack of experience at doing this doing that decking had anything to do with it. It was the wind. The wind had came up, and those sheets are 20 foot long by three foot wide. That's what happened. And we were walking on them, and the wind picked it up a little bit, and boom. It's bucked you. Down you go. Ugh. A guy told me later when I came back <clears throat> onto the same job doing the HVAC work, I might add. The decking was all done by somebody <laughs> else, probably from Central Air. Um, but he said, uh, do you have any idea what happened that day? And I said, I don't have a clue. And he said, I heard you scream. And he said, you went over backwards off of the eighth level and your head dove right into a beam on the seventh level. And then you did a complete flip and landed on the sixth level right across your middle of your back, down low, just above your belt landed there. And he said, I thought it was gonna break you right in two. And he said, you kind of hung there for a little bit then you went on down out of sight, which I dropped down to five at that point. So we had a guy named Gene Weber. I don't know if you've heard, heard the name. Heard name Gene Weber. Gene came out on the job six, eight months later, and we were eating lunch down in the basement, sitting there eating lunch. And you were back from this. Oh yeah, six. I, yeah, I'm. I was only off work uh, less than three months. What? And it. That's uh, unfathomable. It it broke eight ribs, punctured both lungs, and. Uh, broke my back, crushed my back. Oh my God. Uh, yeah, I had plenty of damage, but my body healed up and I was able to go back to work. Iron Man. But Gene was out there on the job one day and he said, how much did you weigh when you fell? I said, I don't know, probably 140. He said, how far was it? And I said, piss on you. <laughs> I, I, you want to know how fast I was falling? <laughs> I said, I hit stuff on the way down. <laughs> 
Uh, well, on that note, I was I was gonna say, Jim, we we cannot end on that story, but <laughs> but I think you managed to to get us all a little good laugh out of the end of it. So, brother Jim McLaughlin, I I thank you, sir. Oh, that's um, quite all right. You're my first retiree. Anytime uh, I can help you, I will be more than glad to do it. Josh. I I sure appreciate it. We'll have to do this again. Okay. Thank you, sir. Thank you. So that's it, guys. I uh, hope you enjoyed this episode of the Tenernet. Um Again, real nice conversation with uh, Brother Jim McLaughlin. Um, just talking about his career. Not a lot going as far as announcements go. Um, looking at uh, a couple of get-togethers. It's been a little bit since we've had one. Um, continuing Ed, hopefully you guys got all that in. Um, look out next month. I'm, I'm going to have... Uh, kind of a special episode I'm kind of trying to plan out for you guys something I think we all probably need to think about a little bit more uh, so look for that one next month um, thanks for tuning into this one brothers you guys uh, be safe and uh, we'll see you next time <laughs>